Jesus' name. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am, and take now thy son, thy only son, Isaac, whom you love, and get into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place far off. And Abraham said unto his young men, you stay here with the donkeys the boy and I, we're going to go yonder and worship and come again to you. Before we return our offering, I want to talk to you about something called a place called yonder. A place called yonder. God bless you. You may be seated. Years ago, I lived pretty close to Pittsburgh, so I started up with U.S. Air and that's where I logged my air miles. I'd forget how many thousands of miles I had with U.S. Air, and then they went bankrupt. So I joined with Eastern Airlines and the Emerald Club, and I had a lot of miles with Eastern before they went bankrupt. Then I transferred to Northwest Airlines, and I flew a lot of their planes before they went belly up. So I'm with Delta now, and I was adding up how many miles I have flown in the last 40 years. It's a lot of zeros. And even though I I have flown well past a million miles, I'm still... I've never really ventured very far from my roots. I'm a, I'm a hillbilly boy. And uh, I understand a verse that very few people do. Now therefore, so shall thou say unto thy servant David, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. Every other translation calls it the pasture. We're not talking about a coat of wool here. We're not talking about the coat the sheep wore. It's a piece of land. Farmers call it the back 40. It's uh, the 40 acres on the back of the farm. This is where David was when Samuel came to anoint a king. And his daddy lined up all of his brothers and never even thought to call the youngest. He was... He was in the sheep coat. He was in the pasture. And uh, I went back home where I was raised last week. It was a wonderful time. Over 20 of my relatives were there, many of them in church. It had been a long time since they'd been in church. And then they came We cried together, wonderful witness of the presence of the Lord. It was just right to be there. 
So to all of you that told me then that you watch this thing every week, I want to thank you. And I'm grateful that this effort that we make blesses you. And uh, I heard that word a lot when I was a kid yonder. We used to sing a song, won't we have a time when we get over yonder. (laughs) Webster describes yonder as a place beyond, somewhere further than you've ever been. We are here today to launch the second year of something bigger than we have ever done, to go further than we've ever gone. When Genghis Khan died, they went into his tent because he was the only one that had the maps. And as they frantically viewed the maps that were in his tent, they realized that their leader had marched them off of the map and there was no map of where they were. It's my job as a pastor to lead you to a place you've never been, to lead this church off of the spiritual map. This is by far the most ambitious project I've ever taken in my life. Some of you in this room will go further than this project during your life, and you should because you're standing on our shoulders. And as you stand on the shoulders of the people that preceded you, you ought to be able to see further. You ought to dream it bigger. You ought to believe for something greater. We're doing the best we know how, but for me personally, this is uh, as far as I will go. This is the first place in the Bible where the word worship is used. And for years I've taught you something known as the law of first mention. Whenever something is mentioned for the first time in the Bible, you need to take attention, pay attention to it because it sets a precedent for themes all the way through the word. And what you have to realize is the Bible that we have really started out with what is known as Middle English, Old Middle English. And the word that we have now, worship, comes from an old Middle English word called worship. And I guess that really says it all. What is he worth to you? How much value do you place on the Lord and him in control of your life? The end result of addition is called a sum. The end result of multiplication is called a product. The end result of division is known as a quotient. But the end result of subtraction is known as a difference. And when you and I get completely out of the way and allow him to rule and reign in our lives. Not only will that make a difference in our lives, but it'll make a difference in a lot of other people. Abraham, do you love me like the rest of the world loves their gods? If you're familiar with the Old Testament, when they entered into Canaan, there was a city known as Jericho. 
They marched around these walls for seven days and the walls fell flat. There was an old French atheist, his name is Voltaire. Voltaire wrote a paper several hundred years ago about, I think he had 116 things why the Bible was a lie and why it couldn't possibly be true. One of Voltaire's um, reasons was that walls fall in, they fall out, they don't fall down. But they had not discovered Jericho by the time he was around. Later on, after he died, they found Jericho. (laughs) Guess what? They didn't fall out. They didn't fall in. The walls just fell down. And interestingly enough, Voltaire's house, which is several hundred years old, is now the headquarters for the World Bible Society. in that place called Jericho. Joshua said, cursed is the man that rebuilds Jericho. He will lay the walls in his first son and he will hang the gates in the ashes of his second. Hundreds of years later, if you read the Bible, they built Jericho again. And it says that the man responsible for leading the construction burned up his first son and mixed the ashes of his dead boy with the mortar that they used to lay the stones in the rebuilt walls. And he burned up his second son and used it in the glue that held the planks together that ended up becoming the gates of Jericho for the second time. I'm not going to give you a long historical novel or narrative on gods in the Bible. You're familiar possibly with a god by the name of Baal, the god of fire. It wasn't uncommon for them to take their kids, burn them up, burn them up. Abraham, the heathen kill their kids. Are you willing to kill your boy and give him to me? Bible said in the book of Hebrews accounting that God was able to raise him up again even from the dead. Fine line here between faith and first degree murder. The guy literally believed he could burn up his boy and just like God made Adam from the dust of the earth he could give that boy back to him from the ashes of that fireplace. But when I began to study, this is what it says in Leviticus. Five chapters in the book. I did a series of lessons, I don't know, a couple years ago called My Love Affair with Leviticus. People thought that was so strange. How many people get their Bible and go, oh, here we go, kids, we're going to read Leviticus. Just not your first choice usually. But the first five chapters of Leviticus are known as the offerings. Wednesday is our last Bible class. The assistant pastor and I are going to teach you on the peace offering on Wednesday evening. (laughs) Thank you for allowing Renee and I to spend time with you during this season of Bible class. I don't know how much you've enjoyed it, but her and I have had a great time walking and 
driving and discussing, and it's been a fun time to collaborate with my sweetheart. First chapter of Leviticus is known as the burnt offering. Listen, he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. And the priest, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head, the fat, in order that the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar, but his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet savor unto the Lord. We'll teach you Wednesday, but these sweet savor offerings, they were, they were voluntary. You did them because you wanted to. When you put Leviticus 1 together with these scriptures in Genesis 22, you're going to have to cut this boy apart. You're going to have to lay him very precisely on this wood. Years ago, I was in Calcutta. I went to the compound for Mother Teresa. Every morning in Calcutta, they would have these carts. There were people that were literally born on the street, raised on the street, died on the street. And every morning, people that worked for her would gather up the dead that died during the night. And I was there on the banks of the Ganges. They would lay this wood like a pyramid. That body, they had this stuff called ghee, which is kind of like butter, but it's very flammable. I would watch these bodies being burned up. All I could think of was Abraham, very precisely laying that wood, having to cut that boy apart. It's gruesome. He's over 100 years old now. Not going to have another boy. This is it. Abraham, do you love me as much as the heathen love their God? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. But this is what he said. We're not going to make a sacrifice. He didn't say that. He said, the boy and I are gone yonder to worship. And then in the end, he said, and when we're done, we'll come back again. Not me. The boy and I. He literally believed God was going to give him that boy back. Great demonstration of, of faith there. The boy said something pretty amazing if you read through the rest of the verses. He said, Daddy, we got the wood. We got the knife. We have the fire. Where's the sacrifice? Abraham gave a great prophecy. The Lord will provide himself for a sacrifice. <laughs> Jesus Christ is not Jehovah Junior. He's the Lord himself in flesh. I always wondered about that. I understand the knife, I understand the wood. What do you mean the fire is in your hands? You know, I suppose little boys all at one time or another wanted to be cowboys or 
firemen, astronauts. Me, I had a spell when I was a kid. I wanted to be an archaeologist. I thought I was weird until after the first service, Chris Perry came up to me from Canada and he said, that's all I ever wanted to be when I was a kid, Brother Hoppin, an archaeologist. So he said, I guess there were two of us that were weird. I remember asking my dad for my seventh Christmas, what do you want? I want a rock hammer. (laughs) And my dad bought me one of them hammers that the Masons use, chip stuff, and that was, I was way before Indiana Jones, man. (laughs) But if you are familiar, it piques your curiosity at all. When you go back to ancient excavations in that Babylon area, Iraq, Mesopotamia, they found hundreds and hundreds of these clay, terracotta, kind of clamshells. Had a top and a bottom. The bottom had little tiny holes in it. Some of them were very ornately carved before they were fired. They didn't know what they were until finally they realized it was a Zippo lighter. It was a, a box of matches. I, I, I was in the Boy Scouts for three weeks when I was a kid. They tried to start a Boy Scout troop in McKinleyville. It lasted three weeks. <laughs> I still remember our first project in the Boy Scouts, making a boat out of a bar of ivory soap and uh, carving that thing into a little boat. It didn't float very well, always on the side. But I do remember the third week, making a fire out of sticks. I cheated. I had a Zippo. And while they weren't looking, I just took that lighter and poof. Wow, Harold, that's great. Nothing to it. <laughs> Remember, they don't do it much anymore, but we used to have this thing, Tom Bodette would leave the light on for you from Motel 6. See, you don't have motels back then. You're camping out a lot of times just outside. And what they would do is they would take coals from the fire at their house and they would put them in these shallow terracotta dishes and these pinpricks, these tiny holes, gave them just enough air and oxygen to keep the coal smoldering. So when they got to where they were going to camp that night, they already had the fire. They, they weren't rubbing them sticks. Good luck. You ever want to make a fire out of sticks? Good luck. Zippo lighters work a lot better. <laughs> this is what he's talking about. Daddy, we got the knife, we got the wood, we've already got the fire. Why? Because they had a fire at home. See, if you don't have anything going on in your house and you come to church, we're going to be rubbing sticks. Draylen's going to have to sing a lot of songs. But if you can bring something from your house to church, all God has to do is go... And that thing will ignite and combust. And it said, like fire set upon each of them. (laughs) There's a great battle 
and religion right now. Pentecostals, spirit-filled community, we're, we're part of something that's very unique. I read a book by a guy named David Martin. David Martin is a sociologist from Oxford University. He is considered the preeminent sociologist alive in the world today. He wrote a book called Pentecostals, The World is Their Parish. I'm not talking about a preacher here. I'm not talking about somebody that went to a seminary. I'm talking about a man considered the very best sociologist in the field. This was his quote. We have come down now to where there are only two forces left in Christianity. These two energies are all that remains in the context of what I call legitimate religion, Catholicism and Pentecostalism. In the book, he said, when all of this Pentecostal movement came on the scene in the late 40s and 50s, if you're a student of this type of thing, in the 50s, there was something known as the Latter Rain Movement. Bill Foster is here, worked for many years with a pastor that was trained by a guy named A.A. Allen. In the 50s, you got to understand, these are boys coming home from the war. There have been thousands and thousands of promises. God, if you'll just get me out of here, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. So it doesn't surprise me, there was a great revival in America in the late 40s and 50s. They were known as ABC, A.A. Allen, William Brannan, and Jack Cole. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people went to their camp meetings and their tent revivals. And uh, Mr. Martin said that when the Pentecostal movement broke onto the scene in the 40s and 50s, we all, all of us educated people, thought it would wear out and come to nothing because all it was was really poor, uneducated people. And then he said this, it was the greatest mistake I made in my entire career to think that Pentecost was going to go away. What are the implications of Pentecostalism for the future and specifically for the future of Christianity? In fact, Mr. Martin puts an enormous challenge in front of us and a burden he said, it is my personal opinion that Pentecostalism is in fact the last hope of Christianity. He said, it is one of the greatest forces in the world of religion today in Latin America, the Southern Hemisphere, massive groups of people in Europe, specifically in Russia and China. I had a friend, his name was Benny DeMerchant, just a fishing guide from New Brunswick. Benny had a dream of a coffee-colored river flowing into a wider, clearer river. And the Lord told him, this is where you're going to spend the rest of your life. He had absolutely no idea what he was looking at in the dream, but when he woke up, he began to search, and he found this. To the left is what is known the Rio Negro, 
the coffee-colored waters of the Rio Negro that flow into the Amazon Basin, the greatest river in the world. Benny DeMerchant was 25 years old, made up his mind, I'm going to Brazil. I'm going to Brazil. Ladies and gentlemen, it stunned me when I began to study what happened with Benny. He couldn't speak a word of Portuguese. But he knew there were no roads there, so he took lessons and learned how to fly a float plane. His service, many years ago, his first service was in a garage with seven people in Rio behind Maracana Soccer Stadium. Maracana is the largest soccer stadium in the world. When the World Cup was recently held there, they had 199,000 people in attendance to see that World Cup game. The soccer crowd was so loud, Benny couldn't preach. They couldn't hear him. So he gathered up the seven people that were in the garage and he took them out in the alley and he pointed towards the stadium and he said, before I die, we will fill that stadium. Three years before Benny died, they had the National Conference of Brazil in Maracana. Not only did they fill the stadium, they filled the ground where they usually played. They had over 220,000 spirit-filled tongue talkers in Maracana Stadium. All from one guy that had a vision about coffee-colored water going into the Amazon. Our young people have just come back from Brazil. Next Sunday, this service will be dedicated. They will do the great balance of this service. You need to be here. I can't tell you the burden it on my heart for our young people. I was bullied when I was a kid. There wasn't anybody in the youth group my age. I was taught, I had a good pastor, but he was very strict. I wanted to play baseball. Can't do that. Okay. I survived. My mom and dad never, ever, ever complained. I had an antagonist by the name of David Bennett. For five years, David Bennett tormented me. We ended up going to Woodshop. I was so delighted. Went to a, from a tiny, tiny little school to a school out in a place called Bethany. They had a Woodshop. I was fascinated, man. It was love at first sight for me, boy. David Bennett would open my books and take a 16-penny nail and and nail my books to the top of the wood benches so that when the bell rang and it was time to go to the next class, my books wouldn't move. So I was late. I remember having a wood plane. I was shaving a piece of wood and he came over and just grabbed that plane. I was in eighth grade. He grabbed that plane and ripped it out of my hands. It's like I'm 65 years old, man. It's like a movie in my mind. I just very quietly opened up that vice and took that beautiful piece of oak out of there. 
And I hit him in the head as hard as I could and just knocked him conscious on the floor. And I was sure that the teacher, his name was Mr. Powell, was going to suspend me. I still remember with great pride Mr. Powell leaning over unconscious David Bennett cussing and saying, blankety blank Huffman, that was great. That was great. He said, I wondered how long you were going to put up with all that blankety blank. No one bothered me after that. <laughs> but if our kids did that today, they'd go to jail. None of us knew what it was like to be cyber bullied. None of us knew what it was like, the pressures, the unique cultural pressures that are on our kids right now. We had a bunch of them go to Brazil. Kento, yeah, you, you get how special. I know we've got lots of special people in this church. But I, I think of Kento and Bianca. She's got a, she's the nurse. Kento got a full time job. You should see what they do with our young people every week. Every week. He took his vacation time to take your kids to Brazil. And if you think that's all fun and games, you've never been on a trip like that. I've been on them trips. And all it takes is one. And they can mess up the whole thing. But you're going to hear testimonies next week how kids were changed. There are stories that are coming out of Brazil right now. They call them the child preachers, 15, 16, 17, mightily anointed, preaching the throngs of people. Something very, very, very unique that's going on. Mr. Martin, I believe you. I really believe this is the last gasp of Christianity. Because I see the others that have compromised. Now the lesbians are their pastors. And they fly these rainbow flags outside of their churches. And I see all these efforts. We had a Methodist pastor come. Was with us in service. He finally looked at me and he said, my God, how did you do this? He said, we only have church every two weeks now and we have line dancing because that's the only way we could convince people to come to church. Trying to do whatever they can to get somebody to come. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul said in his last chapter of his last letter, Demas forsook me, having loved this present world. He was in love with it. It meant something to him. Isn't it interesting? Most people know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And yet there's another verse in 1 John that says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. In English it doesn't make sense, but in the original language it makes perfect sense. It doesn't mean don't love people. Because the word world is totally different in John 3 than in 1 John 3. 
In 1 John, or in John 3, it means God loved people. God so loved people. That's why he came. But in 1 John, it's talking about culture. It's talking about thought processes that are anti-God. Ways of approaching things. We laugh. That's why David said, the Lord restoreth my soul. Because we're living in a world that laughs about things you ought to cry about. We cry about things that ought to be just mirth and ought to make us laugh. We, have, we, we hug trees and save whales and have aborted enough kids to populate Canada. It's crazy. It's nuts. Values have changed. What used to be valuable doesn't mean that much anymore. We have a mandate. We have a duty. The Bible said in Hebrews 11, talking about Abraham, and if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came, they might have had opportunity to have returned. The message says, if they ever got homesick for their old country, they could have gone back any time they wanted. But read your Bible. Abraham never went back. He thought he was crazy. God told me wherever I put the sole of my foot down, he's going to give it to me. And all you got to do is go to your map today and find that piece of property known as the nation of Israel. God gave him the land that he promised that he would give them. It's, it's, we're in this struggle right now. And I, I, I never believe you can earn salvation. But we can earn the blessing of God. We can obtain his favor. Because the Bible said God is no respecter of persons. But listen to me carefully. God is a respecter of principles. And there are people that have no idea. Years ago, when I was in Jonesboro, Georgia, I met an old man named Truett Cathy. And he told me about a chicken restaurant he wanted to open. And he said, I'm not going to be open on Sundays. And any of my managers have to sign a document stating that they go to a church and that they tithe to that local church. I'm going to call it Chick-fil-A. Do you think it'll work? And I said, if you're tithing, I believe the favor of God will be on your life. I think Mr. Kathy proved very well. Whether you understand the Bible or not, if you tithe to the kingdom, God keeps good books. And God will further your efforts. Because the Bible said in Romans 8, for the law of the spirit of life. There are natural laws and there are spirit laws. There's something in the universe known as the law of gravity. Take you up on top of this roof. I fell from up there. That's a long way, let me tell you. And when I landed over there, I busted out all kinds of things that still hurt. I'd take you up on top of this roof and say, do you understand gravity? No, no problem, jump. Because if you don't understand the law it won't work. You know, there's something called electricity. 
Get a bobby pin, stick it under your fingernails and jam you in that light socket right now. But before we do, we ask you a simple question. Do you understand, you know, positive and negative charges? Do you understand the flow of electrons? Do you understand electricity? No, no problem. Stick your finger in that wall socket. You might not understand electricity, but I promise you, that dude's going to fry you. There are laws in the world, whether you understand them or not. They work. And there are laws in the spirit that whether you understand them or not, they still work. And we might be like Israel and have no idea what that means, but we have enough sense to realize we're winning. And there are things in the spirit, ladies and gentlemen. God is a respecter of principles. And I know, you know, you can't earn your religion or earn your salvation, but I found a verse, it's in Acts 10 and verse four, talking about a guy by the name of Cornelius. He said, thy prayer and thine arms have come up as a memorial before God. There are two different kinds of prayer as far as I'm concerned. Ah, there's a lot of kinds of prayer, but you leave church today and car's gonna hit you and you don't have time to say, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You might have enough time to say, Jesus. I was in Bible school. We went every weekend, girls sang, the boys preached. We were on our way from Houston to Dallas, which is about four hours. Everybody was asleep, I was driving. We're on a two-lane road and a log truck pulled out the pass coming right at me. There was nowhere to go. I don't even know if I had time to say it, probably just to think it. Jesus. I saw that log truck come around me on the right and fall over and them logs roll over. When I got to Dallas, there was an old preacher named Hush who pastored that church. And before I could get out of that van, that old man came and put his hands on that open window and said, I saw you, son. I saw that truck coming at you. And he said, I pulled my car over and began to intercede. And he said, I saw the hand of the Lord push that truck out of your way and dump its logs in the forest. Did it happen or not? And I just said, yes, sir. (laughs) There are times all you can do is say, Oh, God, help me. But there are other times, ladies and gentlemen, we come here on Monday. I've been coming here for years. There's at least two prayers that I know of that I've been praying ever since I started coming to Monday night prayer. I feel like every time I come, I'm mixing a batch of mortar and I'm laying another brick. I've never been to Dubai. They have a thing called the Burj Khalifa which is the largest structure in the world, tallest structure in the world. They say from space you can see the pyramids. They say from space you can see the Great Wall of China. It is possible to build something on the earth that you can see from up there. That's what we're doing. We're building your prayer and your giving can come up and build a memorial that God can't ignore. That every time God looks on the earth, he said, 
I got to do something for them people. Look what they're building in prayer. Look what they're building with their giving. I'm not just talking about a physical building. I'm talking about something that gets God's attention. So I truly believe that there are precepts and principles that God honors because the Bible in Thessalonians chapter one and verse three talks about a work of faith. In chapter three, it talks about the work of his power. It talks about the work of the spirit, the work of grace. God can do a quick work. Bible said in Hebrews 4 and 12, for the word of God is quick, quick, sharp, powerful. You don't believe God can do something fast, then you better take Acts 2 and verse 1 out of your Bible. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. I'm not talking about being lazy, but in 2 Peter 3 and 8, it said, one day is with the Lord a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Think of it. A thousand years is 24 hours to the Lord, which means that 12 hours is 500 years and six hours is 250 years and three hours is 125 years and 65 years is an hour and a half. Couldn't you serve the Lord for an hour and a half? Jesus has been gone for 2,000 years. It's just two days. I had a friend said, he said, I'll be right back and he's been gone for 2,000 years. Aren't we glad he didn't say I'm gonna take my time? Einstein proved it but Peter was way ahead of all that I'm telling you time is elastic time can be manipulated by the God who created it the greater light to rule the day Lord built that thing if you know your Bible I've taught you for years from John 7 and 39. Holy Ghost was not yet given until Jesus was glorified. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all end with the same story. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, and then he was, he left. We have very few insights into what he taught after he resurrected. It's why I've gotten trouble over the years when I told people, we don't serve a biblical Jesus. And when I say that without explanation, without explanation, there have been some people who got really angry at me through the years. But I'm, I'm right. Because the Jesus that we have recorded in the Bible, 99.9% of it is a Jesus on the other side of the cross. On the other side of an open tomb. We serve a Jesus on this side of the open tomb. There's very little in the Bible about that. But there is a verse in Luke 24, it said, he opened their understanding. I mean, for 40 days, he's visiting people and showing them, I'm alive, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a zephyr, I'm not an apparition. I, 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 here, touch me, handle me. But even though it's in the book of Acts, it's still there before he left. 
but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you'll be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. Samaritans, what is that? In the Old Testament, Assyria invaded Israel and the Jewish girls with time started falling in love with these Assyrian soldiers and the union, the marriage between a Jewish girl and an Assyrian soldier is a half-breed, notice a Samaritan. Orthodox Jews hated them. They considered them sellouts. They considered them a lower caste, a lower form of humanity. But listen to what Jesus said. The Holy Ghost is going to fall in Jerusalem. I remember years ago I was in Moline, Illinois. It's called the Quad Cities. Moline, Davenport, Iowa. It's where heavy equipment is made. Caterpillar's there. John Deere's there. Case was there. I went on a tour to the John Deere factory in Moline, Illinois. And, and, and they, they had a... I'd never seen a tractor like that. Just massive tires. And the, 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 the driver was in a four-point harness like a NASCAR. And he had a crash helmet on. And they had these giant concrete tubes probably eight ten feet in diameter and maybe 30 feet long and and, but they weren't parallel they were like in a w and i watched this guy get in this tractor and just floor it and went running at these concrete logs and while one wheel was up the other one was down and while one was down the other one was up and that guy bounced over and up and down across that and, and, and the, the guide told me we subject our equipment to what we consider to be three times the maximum amount of stress that a farmer will ever put on one of our pieces of equipment during its lifetime. And as weird as I am, as soon as he said that, all I could think of was this verse because the, the, the toughest, see, that was the train, that was the proving ground for John Deere, but Jerusalem was the proving ground for the church. There was no more difficult city in the world to build a church in than Jerusalem. All those agnostic Jews, all those people that wanted nothing to do with Christianity, the Lord was saying, if I can build a church in Jerusalem, I can build a church in Michigan. If I can build a church in Jerusalem, I can build a church anywhere. And you look at that Bible, look, look, this is a verse, it's in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And Saul, this is Paul, the missionary, and Saul was consenting unto his death. Why? Because in Acts 7, Stephen was stoned. Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad through the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. See, if you read Acts 5, there's a guy named Gamaliel said, listen, don't you remember Judas and Thetis? They had rebellions. They fell apart. If these people aren't of God, what do we got to worry about? It'll go away. But if they are of God, we're going to fight against God. And so the apostles, were, were, they left them alone, but everybody else is open season. When I was a kid, man, I, I, I was a pyromaniac. And I, I would go behind my grandmother Miney's house and she had this big field and I would take one match, just one, and I, and I would start a fire and I'd get that fire banked up and, and then when it, when, it, when it was down, I'd, I'd, I'd take one, one ember and I'd, I'd just make sure everything else was dead and 
I'd take one ember and I'd blow on that and I'd make another fire. And that was quality entertainment to a hillbilly kid, you know. And I remember one day being down there and I didn't take account the wind that was blowing and, and I stomped to put that fire out. And when I did, them embers went boom. And when that wind hit it, I mean, it was like in a moment, wham, the whole field's on fire. And I got a whooping for that, a real whooping. I still remember the whooping, but I also remember when the whooping was done, looking over my grandma's sink and going, wow, look at that. <laughs> and McKinleyville Fire Department came out, but I knew it was blowing toward the creek. That's creek for those of you that live in Oakland County. That's not something in your neck. That's where we fished. And I knew that it would burn out, but man, what a fire. Edison was building records years ago in New Jersey out of acetate, which is an oil bay, kind of like tar. And it caught on fire and he had a son, two in the morning, go get your mom, get her. And he said, daddy, why do you want mom to see your laboratory burn up? And he said, she'll never see a fire this big again for the rest of her life. Look at that. I remember what it was like stomping on that fire and boom, that's what happened. Nobody, see, you're not supposed to stay at Jerusalem, but, but who would want to leave? Mary's there for goodness sakes. Lazarus goes to church there. Peter's preaching with the keys. That was a great church. But the prophecy was, I wanted to go to Jerusalem and then the whole county be like, we'll go to Lansing and then we're going to get in Michigan. That's what the relationship of Jerusalem to Judea. And then if you've got a map in your Bible, right beside of Judea is this other thing called Samaria. That's the half-breeds. And then the uttermost part. And, and, and this, is how, this is what happened to the church. But if I'm right with my chronology, when this woman, this, this woman in the book of Matthew chapter 7, the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation. And she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. You gotta, if my chronology's right, he's, he's coming towards the end of his second year. He, he, he's got a year and a half left to minister. And, and when you study the Bible, it, it talks about Tiberius in the book of Luke chapter three. And then in Acts, it talks about Herod Agrippa and when he died. And those are historical dates. They're not just Bible. Those are actual historical dates. So if we take those dates into account, we know, we know what's going on here. We know that the gospel doesn't go to the Gentiles until you're at least 15 years into the book of Acts. So if you've got 15 years of the book of Acts and you add that to the year and a half left in the minute. Here's this woman. She's a Greek. She's not a Jew. She's not a Samaritan. She's, she's the outcast. She's the Gentile. She comes and says, Lord, my daughter is suffering. Would you, could you heal my daughter? Jesus knows full well what prophecy is all about. He knows exactly how the dominoes are going to fall. But watch very carefully. Jesus, at that moment in Matthew 7, reaches 16 and a half years into the future for a miracle that was only then reserved for the Gentiles and took a Gentile miracle and brought it back and healed that woman's daughter in Matthew 7. Why? Because he has the ability to manipulate time. I don't know how much time we have left, but I believe we got enough to do something powerful and something mighty. And I'm here to put a challenge before you. 
Let's go yonder. Let's go yonder. Let's go further than you've ever been. Let's go higher than you've ever been. And it's going to cost you. And it's going to cost me. But what kind of old man do you want to be anyway? What kind of old woman do you want to be? When it's all said and done, what is going to be your greatest accomplishment in life? I remember this old lady, Catherine Bartell. And I said, Mr. Bartell, I want to buy your property. She had three signed offers from builders for over $3 million for that property that we own. And she said, why should I sell you this property? I said, because as long as I'm alive, I make a promise I'll never sell your property. And long after you're dead, Mrs. Bartell, we're going to be having Sunday school on that property. We're going to have our youth group on that property. Young married couples. The Bible said, in being dead, you still speak. And that sold that old woman. And she woke out of a coma two weeks later and told her daughter, sell the land to the preacher for 100,000 bucks and died. I believe God was in that. I really do. I believe we're going to have us a new temple there. I really believe that with all of my heart. When it's all said and done, you know, no one ever puts on their tombstone, boy, I wish I'd have spent more time in the office. Boy, do I wish I'd have spent more time cutting grass. Boy, do I wish I'd have spent, no, 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 no. Your, your family, that's a big deal. Who you marry, your spouse, that's a big deal. How you serve God or whether you serve God or not, that's a big deal. But we have a chance to put something on this property for people that we don't have names for. People that we are not your Facebook friends yet. In this room today is a precious man by the name of Rex Dill. He called me a couple weeks ago. I want, we need to come to church, Pastor Robin. Rex and Jennifer are here today. I remember the last thing Barbara, his grandma, told me before she died. Pastor, whatever you do, will you save my grandson? Pastor, I've done everything I knew how, but I'm fixing to die, and you know it, and I know it. Would you do whatever you could to save my grandson? And I hadn't seen that boy in years, and all of a sudden, bam, here he is, and he's sitting in this church today with his, with his, with his sweetheart. I can go around this. We, we've got people in this room right now. Brother Portel went to another church. He said, I, 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 I wanted something more, and he said, I typed into my laptop, is there a Holy Ghost-filled church close to me? And he said, only one church popped up and it was first church and he said that's why I came to your prayer meeting and why I haven't missed prayer meeting for three months I believe when I touch you months I believe the net I believe God is dragging the net through this world one more time one more time do you remember Paul Trinikos who spoke for us when Imagine began? Paul Trinikos gave 10, he said, pastors don't do this, man. I, I'm not saying they're all stingy, but they all got bills to pay. I get it. But Paul Trinikos gave us $10,000 and said, I want to sow some seed in the new temple that you're going to build. Paul Trinikos called me Monday and he said, we ran out of chairs, Brother Hoffman. We didn't have any place else to sit. Would you please have the people pray? He said, our path and 
first church path has just paralleled for so many years and you're getting ready to build something and we need to build something. Would you please have the people pray because we don't have any more room. My good friend Joe Hines, he texts and calls me every Sunday morning. He's done it for years. He did it this morning. Winfield, Louisiana. It's the known place known as Uncle Earl's Hog Dog Contest because if you know Louisiana history, there was a guy named Huey Long and Huey Long got shot and he got killed in the state house and been Baton Rouge but his brother Earl became governor after that and Winfield was Earl's home and even to this day you bring all your people all over the world bring their dogs to chase the hogs in the woods and I said Joe let's get this to a place where you're not just known as this is Uncle Earl's hog dog contest let this be of ground zero for a great harvest he called me two weeks ago he said pastor we just we just had our service in our 28th denominal church. I'm not talking about Pentecostal. He said 28 different denominational churches have invited me to preach and our praise team to worship because it's dying and they don't know what to do. You remember Robert Tisdale? Robert Tisdale preached for weeks and weeks and weeks here. He just called me last week. Two Sundays ago, he baptized 60 people in one service in Tampa, Florida. I can tell you story after story after story. I really believe there's a shaking. There's awakening. There's something powerful going on in the spirit right now. And I want to be in the middle of it. Stand. 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 Don't stop worshiping. Don't stop clapping. In Jesus' name. That's what God is here, ladies and gentlemen. They've got, bring me some boxes, you, these ushers. We're going to return our regular tithe and offering. They'll have a code on the f- screen. If you do it with your phone, fine. But this is the first Imagine offering of the second year. We'll announce it to you next Sunday. It'll be a great time. I think it's next Sunday, Brother Michael. Next Sunday. We're on track to do something special, ladies and gentlemen. We really are. I've never been a money preacher. If you've ever, if you know me, I'm not a money preacher. But I know this. Without a vision, the people perish. And without money, the vision perishes. And wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So I'm inviting you to try. Many of you have partnered with us. I want to thank all you people online that have given thousands of dollars online. Can you go with us a while longer? Would you be willing to help us? I don't know how many people have told me in the last year of traveling, that's the only church service I have. I watched the live stream for First Church on Sunday. My mom was with me. Jason's with me. I'm not making this up. I need your help. Let's come. Return your tithing, your offerings. Bring your imagine offering. We're going to believe God for 300,000 bucks today. $300,000. In Jesus' name. You say, that's crazy. No, it's not. I already got half of it. I really need 150. And it's just people all week long have been bringing me money. People have mailed me money. Been preaching all this summer, or all this spring, rather. People give me money. In Jesus' name. Brother Pew told me this before he died. He said, you're into fourth and fifth generation apostolics now, Harold. It's created a wave of blessing. You would 
it would be easier to stop the sun from coming up than to stop this wave. And he said, you're going to have millions of dollars go through your hands. He said, just don't squander it. Spend it wisely. In Jesus' name. We didn't ask you for a dime to help the kids go to Brazil. Just because of your faithfulness. This has been a blessed church. You don't get hit with everybody trying to sell you something when you come here. But this is a big deal. And we're going to do this in the name of Jesus. Praise God. Would you raise your hands with me? Lord Jesus, you must love common people because you sure have made an awful lot of us. And I realize it's not the wealthy that build churches. In your word, it was the widows that fed the prophets. You did not congratulate the wealthy that put a $5 bill in the plate, but when that woman came up with two pennies, you said she gave of her living. But she's in the word, and the others are nameless. Lord Jesus, we're asking you right now to give us wisdom. We can't do this without you, and we can't do it without each other. But together, we're going to do something powerful and mighty. And maybe, just maybe, I might live long enough to see us have to add on to that one. I don't know. I just want to believe for something bigger than I could possibly wrap my mind around right now. Put your hand on someone by you if it's appropriate. Lord Jesus, we're attempting something that's bigger than ourselves. But you said you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think. But it will be according to your power that's working in us. I know in my life you're working in me. I know you've blessed my life. I can't where all this is coming from but I'm watching this flow into my life so that I can give back to the kingdom I ask you Lord I'm going to do the very best I know how to live modestly so I can give radically I'm going to do the best I can to be an example to this flock of sheep that you've trusted me with oh God oh God guard the unity and the harmony that's in this place guard the sweet essence and scent of the voluntary spirit that lives in this house. We're going to go to a place called Yonder. It's a long way from where we are. We've never been there before, but we're going to get there. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
going to sing, Won't We Have a Time When We Get Over Yonder. I want to sing, Aren't We Having a Time While Going Over Yonder. We're making the trip together. I want to thank you for your faithfulness. This is a good way to end. Greet one another. Find somebody you don't have a name for. Introduce yourself to them.